0: Hello, hello, hello. It's Alex, the real Alex, hosting, and I'm joined today by Manas and Lohan. Uh Manas, how would you describe yourself as a footballer?
1: Oh, aging
0: winger who's trying to convert himself
1: <laughs> into a center <sentiment> midfielder
0: <laughs> and struggling. I actually came to you because because in the chat you compared yourself to Trossard, which otherwise, you know, quite a kind of a flex. <laughs> and Lorcan, how would you describe yourself?
2: Um, I I mean, I haven't played. I used to play football from about four to 16, 17. And since then I have not played. Um, I, funnily enough, yeah, I started out as a deep-lying central midfielder and then became um, a winger whose only function was to run in behind because I was really fast. Um, (laughs) So yeah. (laughs)
0: I'm pretty much the same. I'm, You know, I always wanted to be like that deep-lying playmaker, but I, we didn't even play much football at school because I went to like a rugby school and all of that. But yeah, I would kind of compare myself to like a Carl Jenkinson mixed with like Shane Long, <laughs> where I, mainly I just had lots of stamina. I was pretty quick. I think my off-ball movement was good. And I was good at two technical things, tackling if you count that as technique and like crossing. But other than that, I had like the first touch of a donkey. So... So, yeah, sadly, I can never play inside like like Manus apparently can. But, but yeah, with that said, we'll move on um, to, yeah, the, talking about the game. Um, the 1-0 away win over Everton, which is actually the first time we've won there since the 17-18 season, which was Arsene Wenger's last. Um, so, yeah, it's good to get that off our shoulders, I guess. But we started well enough and almost maybe should have had an early goal through Martinelli around 20 minutes in. But after that, in general, we struggled to penetrate Everton's defense, who themselves barely threatened our goal, it has to be said. Finally, the goal did come through Trossard, who was the early sub for Montanelli, who unfortunately went off injured shortly after his disallowed goal in the first half. Um, Trossard scored in around the 69th minute. And from there, I think it was relatively comfortable, though there has been a lot of frustration about our lack of incision and goal threats. Not only in this game, but I think people are now taking you know, looking at it over the season so far. And I think that's going to inevitably be the focus of this episode. So yeah, before we get into all that, Manas, how would you overview the game?
1: I felt that um, this was perhaps the best game in terms of tempo and build-up that we've had. And again, like I said this in a tweet yesterday, Rice seems to be playing the best game in, in an Arsenal shirt every successive successive game. Um, in terms of the goal scored, that, the, the technique from uh, Trossard is unbelievable. Like That's an unbelievable goal. Uh, it was worth, I think, 0.09 xG. Um, it's, it's incredible. I, th- I feel we could have scored more uh, because the ball did break a couple of times in the second half um, when Everton started push- pressing us really high after we'd scored the goal. So probably should have won it like 3-0 or something. But um, we did do struggle uh, to create consistent chances. We created zero, zero big chances in this game. But we did have around like 13 shots. So in terms of xG ex- accumulation across the season, we're like 10th, I think somewhere around 10th in the table. Um, so yeah, creation is definitely an issue. I, and I think we touch upon that as we go on but build-up wise I think in terms of tempo and speed of play and you know our general pattern of how we do wide rotations how we find the central areas by going first wide and then coming in I think all of those was pretty pristine.
0: Okay yeah that's interesting I didn't realize we were that low in terms of XG so far this season I know we're second in terms of um, XG conceded which isn't too bad just behind city. But Lorcan, how did you how did you see the game? Anything to add?
2: Yeah, not much. I think um I think it was a yeah, very measured and controlled performance where our transition defense again was really strong against a side that was definitely looking to break. Um I was in the reverse fi- in sorry, in this fixture last year, we obviously lost when it was Deitch's first game and we struggled in some of the same respects, but couldn't break them down um, down the flanks because they. I think they played a 5-4-1 and then essentially doubled up on the wingers and we weren't able to exploit that. Um, that wasn't the case on the game um, on Sunday. And in that respect, I think we were able to create more because of it. Um, but yeah, there was a lack, of, as Mana said, a lack of clear chances. That being said, I was really happy with sort of our approach to the game. Um overall.
0: I think I generally agree with that. Before we before we um get into maybe speaking about our chance creation, um and in part of that, I think players that came into the team like Fabio Vieira over Hubbards, I do want to look in goal. And obviously this has a sort of been foreshadowed for some time that Raya would come in, in in a Premier League game relatively soon, and he has, and this was the game, obviously, right after the international break, which is I think what happened to Leno. <laughs> when Ramsdale usurped him. But yeah, Man, Manas, coming back to you, what did you think of Raya's performance?
1: He was very accomplished, um, just extremely calm. And I loved that he can like just pluck a ball out of the air in aerials. I think that's something that's, that we've lacked f- over the years. Um, Ramsdale, I don't think he does that consistently enough for us, but uh, Raya did it pretty well yesterday. I think he claimed like three or four crosses or long words. And We spoke about this uh, on the snapshots as well. Uh, we discussed that, like, like even though that there is a certain overlap between the, these two, there there are certain aspects where one is better, one is not. So I think we we saw that come through pretty much uh, effectively. And I was surprised to see that he did play nine long balls. He attempted nine. I just I don't remember him playing that, unless the long ball out to the winger or the fullback is. Counted as
2: a long ball, but yeah, I think nice. it must be. Yeah, it should. I think be. it must be. Yeah,
1: so seven out of nine long balls. I think he was pretty pretty
2: calm. I was just going to say, I don't know if you guys saw Arteta's comments on um, after the game about goalkeepers and how he wanted to. I think he said in the 65th minute of one game and the 80th minute of one game, and this is this season he was talking about. He wanted to make substitutions but didn't. And is now kind of annoyed at himself that he didn't because he was too. He didn't. He lacked the courage. I think with the words that he used. Um, but given that information, why do you th- why do you guys think that is? Because I, I I mean I I obviously listened to the snapshot that you did, Manus, about um, David Raya and Raya is a superior um, claimer of the ball, at commanding his box despite being what like. Several inches shorter than Ramsdale. And that does actually stick out to me. However, I thought we might use Raya on longer pitches just because I think he's a superior long passer in behind in terms of precision, although that is also one of Ramsdale's strengths as well. But why would you guys say that is? Um I obviously he's talking about subbing Riot in for Ramsdale. What skill set or like game state do do you think it is like claiming high balls?
0: I think, firstly, maybe it's also worth comparing to Rams. I think Ramsell's only completed 11 out of 33 long long balls so far over the course of the season, whereas Raya completed 7 out of 9. So even with that pitch difference in terms of size, I think Raya still manages to to execute with a pretty high accuracy. So far, obviously, we're one game in. Um, I think other things is Raya does seem a little calmer in moments, and I think cross-collecting can also be quite important when you're sitting deep a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm I'm interested. What games? Because I didn't realize that he was referring to two games from this season where he wanted to make the substitutes. I thought he meant over his
2: like Arsenal career so far. So, see, that might be one of the language things. I think I thought you said in this period or something mm-hmm. like that, but I could be wrong. So we'll revisit that. Okay,
0: because he often speaks about like in this period, in this moment, I did this. So maybe I I wasn't thinking that. But I mean, I can I imagine one at least being this this season. I'm wondering. When you brought it up, first one that came to mind was maybe Fulham, maybe a different temperament, um, being able to kind of protect. I know it's also 10 men and then also being able to, yeah, to, to send the ball high long into, into our, yeah, whoever's up top, Havertz. And I think our real came on at the end, did he versus Fulham? Yeah. Yeah. To kind of relieve the pressure. I think having that in your, in your arsenal is, is important.
1: Yeah, um, I think if uh, Mikel was talking about this season, if you want to substitute somebody in the 84th minute, you can like s- sort of understand that it might have been defensive. So he probably thinks Rea might have come in, claimed a few corners, or maybe he's better at short stopping. But I don't understand. What was the other
2: number? He said 60,
1: 64th? Six. Yeah.
2: Something like, I think it was 65th and 80th what? from yeah. memory.
1: Yeah, I- like, you can't really talk about the 65th game, 65th minute game, what, whichever game that was, because that's completely game-changing, right? Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about the goalkeeper as a substitutable player, which he they should be, it's just something that doesn't happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's game-changing if he's sort of looking at things that way.
0: What do you guys think of the idea overall, like in general, swapping out your goalkeeper? Because I think the main reason it hasn't ever happened and isn't normal is because goalkeepers don't get tired out as general um, players do. But now with five subs, I think there's far more scope for not losing that much of the Because I think if if you're subbing three players max in a game, then you want to sub three outfielders because you don't want to suddenly, you know, lose intensity, energy versus the other team, which will make three subs in outfield. But I think now with five... And often managers don't even make five subs um, over the course of a game. Arteta often doesn't. I think it's far more of an option from a, in a tactical
1: sense. Yeah, it's difficult to say. Um, I don't know. Like, there, I, I think we need more evidence. Maybe when he actually does substitute some a goalkeeper, then we.
2: Yeah, I I don't I don't know either to be honest. Um, it's definitely not my area (laughs) of expertise or something I feel hugely comfortable talking about. That being said, I don't see why it's not viable in particular games. I do get the idea that the goalkeeper sort of has to be that steadfast presence in the back line commanding the box and that sort of relationship with his centre-halves, I guess. Um, but I don't know, we've seen Deserby do it with, um, Verbruggen and Steele, right? Like even this weekend Steele came in. Um, so in terms of mixing and matching, it kind of makes sense in my head, even though I don't really know. Yeah, I will be surprised the day that I see an on-pitch um, substitution. But I guess, I don't know, Arteta did say that we'd see it some, one of these days.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Okay, let's move on, I think, to what I see as the main theme of um of maybe the season so far, but definitely the Everton game in the last couple of games is... A lot of it, it has to do with what people are pointing out as a lack of threat or consistent goal threats and us being a bit more predictable than we were before. And to me, and I think us in general, we've spoken about this before on this pod, going back to preseason pod, um, I think both the preseason pods, Um, is about accessing the interiors and progressing through the center. A lot of our play this season has been forced out wide and then trying to get in the ball from there um lorcan i know you wrote an article recently about this so i'm interested in basically your thoughts now the article came out before the everton game but having watched the everton game how did you see it bearing out
2: yeah i think it's a pretty persistent theme um and i think essentially the long and short of the article was it basically just comes down to the profiles of the interiors that we do use um I think there are a few occasions where we actually did do it against Everton, but it's like these moments where Everton have pushed it's it's those it's kind of the move the sorry, the moments between when they're transitioning from a sort of engagement slash press to a settled block and we find normally Odegaard between the lines. And Odegaard is incredible at picking up space between the lines and finding little pockets of space to receive in. It's just he needs that sort of time and space advantage to do anything there because of his angle bias and then also because of his sort of lack of shielding ability. Um, I think Everton was another good case study. It was a game where we relied on wide combinations and passing out wide to get back into the middle. Um, I think it's just something we're going to have to deal with. It's something that we, in my opinion, we could navigate by integrating new profiles like maybe Trossard or... Emil Smith-Rowe off the left, for example, or Emil Smith-Rowe off the right. Um, again, he hasn't featured this season, so we probably shouldn't talk about that. Um, and it is also something that's usually facilitated when we have Jesus in the team who facilitates those rotations in central zones and also can drop a little bit. But I'm not surprised at all. And I think we've seen quite a lot of matches like this at this point.
0: How much of it th- do you think comes down to the Aids though? Because... Um in your article, you spoke a lot about it being sort of an issue that we've had with Jaka and Uruguay and obviously the intelligence of those players individually, but also the system being accommodating of their their weaknesses or their limitations, being able to circumvent those problems to a certain extent, obviously having to play in certain ways to circumvent, which leads to other problems, right? Such as us being a bit less incremental in our divert, uh, incremental in our progression up the pitch, and sometimes being a little bit more... Um, or would you say vulnerable to counters but this game a player that i kind of do see fitting into the type of player that we talk about is fabio Vieira, who i think maybe you wouldn't quite say is someone like gundawan no one really is but he does fit into that mold, being a lot more liquid in terms of the angles that he can access and move he's pretty two-footed even though he does like to deliver a lot with his left foot um we still kind of saw the same problems coming out do you think that that just has to do with him adapting to the role or is there something more structural as an issue there?
1: Yeah, we've, like, I think I, I read Logan's article about the aids and accommodating their weaknesses. But I think it's about, it's also about what what the profile of a number six is. Yeah, like, currently, like, we have spoken about this and we've talked about this in previous points. Uh, as long as the vertical ball goes in terms into the number 8 there are two things i think that are happening currently at least in these five games that we've played it's one i think the opposition pretty much knows our patterns of play they know like they know we're going to build out wide and they don't stop the ball going wide they want to compress the central spaces and the lack of our number 6 is like our pivots to receive turn and pass vertically is something that we're currently playing around. Even though I don't think that playing through the center is as much of a requirement, because as as far as what the build up is there for, in terms of first principles thinking, it's to get the ball into the final third. We do that pretty well, but it's it's there that things start to break down in terms of chance creation, right? So I think once you once the build up does facilitate you getting up to the final third. It comes down to 1v1 ability of the players. Uh people like Odegaard, how good are they in those tight game states to break that game open? And how good our rotations are, which I think in this game they were pretty good off the right side. Like they were instantly like I think in the first five minutes we combined really well and Odegaard could have had a shot. Um I think I think Enkedia could have also had a shot. I think Odegaard could have gone in twice in the first five minutes, but yeah, I I don't I'm not too worried currently in terms of big chance creation because it it will come as a, when players start to you know break these game states for us.
0: In terms of long term, I think yeah we'll see and and we'll definitely speak about that going forward a little bit later in the pod. But in terms of currently, I think one of the the issues for me is that it's not just about accessing the final third it's how you access the final third or how you arrive into the final third so we are getting into the final third well and i think like that whole field tilt thing that's going on twitter proves as much right but we're not often accessing the final third in a way in which you know for example the wingers are in good positions to be able to receive and come inside and, and find routes towards goal we are often kind of kept out a little bit at not at, yeah i'd say a little bit at arm's length in a way in terms of how teams are are setting up against us now and that that's more my issue where if to go back to logan's article and, and stuff we've discussed really for a couple months now is if you we have the aids who can kind of receive centrally then it opens up a lot of different channels and it means you can threaten them from a lot of different ways once you arrive in the final third so that is that is a bit more for the issue for me it's not about getting into the final third but it's about how you can get into the final third in a way that there's still a a route to goal or a a way of threatening goal from there.
2: Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. Um, And I I also agree with Manos's point about the pivots, which I think we'll get onto later. I would also just say, I think Fabio Vieira does have like a sort of swifter turning radius than your Shaka's or your Havertz's, but I don't think he's really made for tight areas in the same way that like, I don't know, like a Pedri or a Gundogan, um is, I think he's more, even when he receives the ball, he's more looking to, for a final action. That's his like strength, as it were. I don't think he's, his game is particularly conducive to dribbling out of tight areas and like sort of pausa in that, in in that tight area. Um, I think he's really good, similar to Odegaard, really good at finding pockets of space, particularly off the, the right, where he can kind of see the whole pitch, but I didn't see that much sort of dismarking movement from him off the left, um, which is not his fault, of course. Like he's tasked with playing both off the left and the right um, when he comes on. Um, but yeah, I think a, a profile like M. L. Smith Rowe would do well there more than anything. What do you think makes Smith Rowe
0: better suited than
2: than Fabio? Um, just. Loads of things. So I, th- I think a propensity to attack the last line and dribble with the ball when he has it. Um, hugely comfortable receiving the ball and shifting weight from either feet. Um, really deceptive in in both how he receives it and then also when he's carrying the ball can go either way. Um, and yeah, I think it, specifically in those zones, I guess we're talking about sort of zone fourteen. He likes to combine with players. Um, yeah, and attack the last line. Um, smart dismarking movements. I think his like true position is that of a number ten, which of course we haven't kind of seen him play for Arsenal since he first broke through in, in the team. Because we don't really play with a traditional number ten. But yeah, I, I guess those are the the key qualities.
0: This is making me sad that we haven't seen him in so long. it's <laughs> yeah. like I've half forgotten the player. Um- I'm still interested though in terms of in terms of the dismarking movements, why you think that Fabio can't because I think in terms of just being maybe it's still something he needs to develop, which is maybe where I was going a little bit earlier with it. But but in terms of actual positioning, being able to receive and then still access angles to pass afterwards, I still think he has that absolutely in his game.
2: Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't disagree with that. I think he's really good at finding pockets of space between the lines. I think it's just naturally harder. To, again, this is just my impression, but I think it's naturally harder to do on your stronger side when you're left-footed playing on the left uh, or right-footed playing on the right, just in terms of your vision and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree he's a better profile for those areas than than Haberts, and also maybe even than Shaka once he sort of levels up.
1: It's just to add to that, I, I do agree with like what you guys are saying, but I also feel both of these, like all the profiles that we have in the squad in terms of who can play number eight, Smithrow, Odegaard, Havertz, I think all of these Trossard, all of these guys can receive different up to different abilities like under pressure or press, whatever. But I think in terms of accessing these areas, there are two things like whether the space is there for the pass to be played and whether the person on the ball can actually play play that pass. I think we can assume that we have the players to play that pass. Um, And let's assume as well that there are spaces like that. We can pin the the fingers somehow and we can move the block laterally to access the spaces. And it happened a couple of times in these games as well. Like Sinchenko played the pass uh, to Trossard and once to era and I think it was Rice who played an excellent ball between the lines to Odegaard, who like, just took it and turned and just moved it on. I think in when these passes are played, it's the decision-making as well that's lacking. Like We've seen it with Havertz once like we criticized him where he just laid the ball off and in the second half as well, there's a moment where Trossard receives it and he has acres of space to if he just Scanned once, he would have turned. He he didn't like he again. He laid it off. I think we have this ability to do this, and and another thing that like I wanted to ask here is the gravity of the number six. Like if we can get rice to play in the central areas, um, his gravity will attract certain players, and then we will start finding those areas. I think it's just a matter of mind and preference as well whether we want to do that do it or not. Right now, we're like playing around it, but I think it'll come.
0: I think that's a good point now to move actually into the number six, into Rice, and, and the role that he's had and maybe... While I still think he's performing individually, he's getting better every week, like Manasa said, and I was personally very, very impressed by his first 30, 40 minutes of the game where he's moving the ball a lot quicker and... and you know, he kind of knows where to, where to position himself, where to stand. But I just still think he, A, lacks that gravity a little bit to, to pull play in, which is maybe a factor in him being, wouldn't say, less confident, Yeah, a little bit less comfortable bringing pressure onto himself before playing the pass through. But then the other the other aspect of it is he also doesn't often, you spoke about one of the times that he played through into the middle, but we aren't seeing that enough. He's often going up to either side of the corridor to, to play the pass rather than trying to play through the middle or stay positioned to the middle and playing from there, which obviously does attract um, pressure and then open up um, opportunities in pockets behind there, which we've not seen enough of. And obviously that is something that for all his faults in terms of the passes, he ends up choosing or whatnot. Partey is very good at doing
2: um, in receiving. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I think um, just to, give him his credit. So I thought he was amazing again. Um, Again, like especially defensively as well. Like there was that situation in the first minute, which I think.
0: (laughs) Where he just outside of the foot.
2: Yeah. And there were (laughs) were a couple of those as well afterwards. Um, And I think the sort of what uh, Wenger called it technical empathy. I think I talked about it in my article. That side of his game is really coming out. Like his appreciation for who he's passing to onto which foot at which pace Um, looks much more measured than when, understandably, um, when he was playing for for West Ham. Um, But yeah, I agree. I think it's the other side of the equation of the conversation we were just having about not really commanding too much superiority in those central areas higher up is because we're still seeing us play with a box midfield, but it's a much more fluid box midfield. And I think what tends to characterize box midfields is the capacity of the box itself to pin But when you're having your sort of pivot players drop a bit deeper um, and now suddenly the vertical lines between the the players and the half spaces becomes a bit more stretched. I think Odegaard has to start higher anyways because he has a tendency of sort of dropping to receive so he has that space-time advantage. Um, So it's little things like that. I think we're currently, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast, we're currently Playing in a way that benefits Rice, um, insofar as he's not pinning the middle in the same way that Partey is. Partey did. Um, in that same vein, if we talk about this fixture last year, Partey had a howler um, because he was just looking to thread those passes between the lines. Because he, again, as we've touched upon before, he doesn't really have that temperament for it. So I think it's it's almost like a quid pro quo, um, and there is no reason for me to think that Rice won't develop that side of the game, especially because he's improved so much.
0: Yeah, no, the issue there with Partey is also, it's like different, completely different aspects where I think with Partey he's very comfortable receiving under pressure, but especially I think that Everton game, maybe I've always had that issue with him, but maybe made it just so clear in terms of his limitations where he doesn't really think to where to position himself or what his next pass is going to be until he receives which means he wasn't really doing anything to create space and, and try pull out the block, which wasn't interested in, in um, engaging until the player receives um, in, in that, that Dyke masterclass, honestly, versus us. And then, like you said, just trying to hit those vertical balls. I think with Rice, we see far more appreciation already, just in the space of like, what, one and a half months. This idea of what he wants to do right after he receives and where he wants to be when he's receiving, um, but maybe it's still that like technical comfort of also knowing his limitations, which means he does avoid areas that I think Pate, it's like second nature for. He doesn't really mind receiving in those areas because he knows he can just resist any pressure there. So, so it's it's sort of like different issues that in a way led to um, to similar problems. though I think I do take Rice's more tempered approach that just gives us far more control. And obviously then also the
2: defensive side. What so one more thing I would say is it does this sort of more fluid build-up um does give Zinchenko the the license to roam a little bit more. And I think there were sort of I think probably three or four occasions where he thread um he threaded a ball between the lines. Sometimes it was over the top. And that's also actually one of the reasons why I didn't agree with the decision to bring Trossard on, because Trossard wasn't stretching the back line in the same way that even Saka was on the other side and Martinelli was. For the goal that wasn't actually a goal, um, so I think you do get other advantages from it as well. That that element of unpredictability.
0: Yeah, I have to say I think I think this game also suffered for losing Martinelli um, quite early on, and then replacing with Trossard, who obviously fantastic player that we've all come to appreciate, but out wide doesn't really threaten that much. And I think it, it's very telling that all of his best moments came when he was coming in central. Um, are there any other reasons that we think there are for the struggles? For me, one of the things that stands out is teams are just that field tilt sort of thing where we're sitting at like 80% every game. It has a lot to do with teams knowing that they that this is a way of of stifling us. And that this, because we're a good team now, this is the best way of approaching games versus us. And I think another struggle, obviously, is also if we're talking about these eights and we're talking about the six, it's just that, and, and what you've spoken about a bit, um, Lorcan in, in terms of it being a far more fluid box. I think it's also because it's fluid in a way where it's not necessarily as in sync yet and I still think there's a familiarity thing that, that's going to take time to kind of blend in.
1: Yeah, I th- uh, just to bring back uh, the discussion earlier about like why isn't it working and wh- what are the, some of the things, I think there's a little lack of risk-taking as well. Maybe it's due to lack of familiarity or Maybe, maybe confidence, whatever. But the way Everton mid, the mid block was set up, they, they weren't really pressuring our white centre backs a lot. So I like I was just, just, you could see the whole block right, and there were chances to just put the ball over the top. Like we've seen white do it so many times for Saka, and I was like, why why aren't we playing that ball? And then suddenly at some point. Zinchenko starts putting those balls through. In the second half, he did a lot more. In the first half, I don't think he played a lot of those balls. I think he played a couple of balls. So I think once you start, like, once we start doing that, if we started to do that, let's say in the 15th minute, that block suddenly shifts further back and they engage deeper, which they've not prepared for. Like, they came out to play a little bit of football. So I, I think it's a bit of risk taking, we could try playing passes that we're not used to and um, that that could also break open these game sets. So I think it'll come, in time it'll come, but there's a factor of risk taking as well.
2: Yeah, and then last thing just before, because I do want to mention this. We saw, I don't know when uh, Martinelli went off, it was like the 20th minute or so. Yeah, 20th, I think. Yeah, so one of the things I haven't liked about having Havertz on that left-hand side is I don't think it's particularly conducive to Martinelli performing well either. And having a passer on that side is really helpful for Martinelli running in behind. And we only got to see 23 minutes of that, which I think really changed the dynamics. Uh, again, like Trossard didn't stretch the back line. And in, what, 17, 18 minutes, we got a goal from it, obviously, which was a fraction of um, a degree offside, so it didn't count. But I think that, would have, that could have changed perception a little bit, um, having Vieira on the same side as Martinelli.
0: No, absolutely. I think that was probably the thing I was most looking forward to when I saw Fabio starting. It's a bit frustrating now that we're going to be without Martinelli maybe for a while because he's also a very hard profile to replace. And the only one that I can really think that I would like starting is is Gabriel he's out wide. I mean, Reese Nelson's also good, but I think just for that that ability and that electric sort of acceleration in behind, I'm not sure Reese has that. Um, Last thing, I think, before we wrap up on this section is, is there a way that you guys think we can build around this problem in the meantime? I think a lot of what the season is going to be, at least for me, is periodizing things and and building into things, kind of how we've seen City do when they start slow in the league is often certain things take a while to get up and running and they find solutions in the meantime. What do you think is a better way of building around the block? Do you think it's just going to take familiarity and time? Or do you think maybe... For example, you guys were speaking about Zincheco, maybe using him a little bit more aggressively could be a way to, to access the middle and then open up the, the wide areas a little bit better um when we get to our wingers.
1: I was thinking about this when I was rewatching the game. Um how how can we like start creating those 1v1s? And how can we start taking opportunities like this? So Saka Saka's started to get doubled up now. So if he wants to beat his player, he either needs an overlap, needs an overlap, and either we need to move the block to find him one v one. And when he does get one v one, he will take somebody on. But but that often doesn't happen on the other side. Like Martinelli, he can beat anybody he wants on draw pace, but he doesn't. I feel he doesn't take those risks. So one way to play around all of these things is. Once we find those one v ones, we need like we need these guys to start taking people down. like take more risks, go into the box, take more risks. I know we want to score our pattern goal. <laughs> we want to combine and you know, we put that deep ball into the far post. But like if these guys will start taking more risks in terms of one v one, that's maybe a temporary. I don't. I don't want to say temporary, but that's a way of playing around uh, a lack of central penetration.
2: I I think it will take for the integration of new players and new roles. We've already talked a bit about Smith Rowe, Trossard, um maybe having someone, yeah, someone else in that right eight position other than Odegaard because I I mean I, one of the things I really don't like about the start of this season which was a pattern last season but seems to be even exacerbated is the reliance that we have on Saka and um our build up is hugely right-hand side um, heavy, and it's sort of that the, it's not an automation, but the, it's a pattern of play that we see frequently where it's like pass from Saliba to White, White to Odegaard or Saka, maybe to Saka and then Saka passes it inside to Odegaard to try and get inside, White's on the overlap, and meanwhile Saka's getting double, triple teamed um, so yeah, I don't know, in short I'd like to just see Arteta experiment a little bit more and um, Perhaps when perhaps it's something that will improve as as rice gets even better and and can pin centrally a little bit better. But I think there's like ultimately there is a ceiling when you have Odegaard so close to Saka on that right hand side.
0: Let, let's talk about that, though. I think one of the things that stood out for me is Odegaard's form over the season hasn't been that great. One of the issues I'm taking is is maybe with his um insistence to shoot all the time. And I know that's a, a small thing. And maybe something that I think a lot of people like to see, especially from a player that when he first came was very shot shy. But I think it's actually it's to the point where I think he's holding onto the ball and giving up like passing options because he's looking to shoot. And it's it's a it is a risk taking in a sense that he's actually giving up better opportunities for quick combinations to kind of, you know, play through the middle because he's trying to kind of manufacture, and we've kind of spoken about his angles, manufacture the angle for him to take a shot or search for a shot. Um, What have you guys thought about his form and maybe his insistence to continue as a shoot or something we didn't really expect, I think, all of us to happen this season, at least not to the same extent as it was last season. What do you guys think of Odegaard so far this season?
1: I think this was, uh, this was a thing on Twitter after the last Man United game where people were not happy with his, the, the situations in which he was shooting, I'm currently, like, I don't think that's an issue. His creative numbers have definitely dropped and his shooting has gone up. Per game, shots per game has have gone up. He should have scored a goal in this game as well versus, like, if he chose a better finish. I don't think it's an issue currently. It's something, like, he doesn't maybe not have the space on the right because... Teams do recognize that we are most dangerous off of our right. And they don't want to allow access to the half spaces with the lateral pass. They don't want to allow access to the half spaces with the vertical pass. And once Audegaard does receive his angle bias, like we've talked about, means he's you know, he can't really beat or turn and go inside if he's been pressed from the outside. So I think his creation numbers will improve but I'm not worried about his shooting currently like it's fine like, even even if it's a slightly higher per shots per per game I think those will come down eventually.
2: Yeah I think I see it slightly different to everyone else because I, I did see the same sort of conversation on, on the timeline. I think one of the most redeeming qualities about Odegaard is his capacity to like sort of do things that you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be good at. Like people don't talk about the fact that he's probably the most important player to our approach out of possession. He's incredibly smart. Um and he'll sacrifice himself in particular situations. So one example that I see him doing a lot, which I kind of laugh at every time I see it, is him making sort of a depth run in behind as the eight. And I don't I can't think of a single time we've accessed him at, at, as an outball in that capacity. But <laughs> essentially it's to Dismark himself to draw markers away from Saka. But I think that is like maybe a collective, a tactical recognition of the fact that he's not that dynamic player. He doesn't offer you the same sort of verticality in the final phase as let's say if Smith Rowe was there, but he does all the things that he sort of can. So sorry, I think I think Odegaard's shooting is a specific tactical instruction. Um because, you know, like he's an incredibly good long range shooter. Um and also if the sort of the keeper parries back into central areas, we've got the players there, in theory, who can finish those chances as well. So I think it's a it's a it's a tac- tactical instruction to for a way to force action because we're finding it hard to do that where teams are acquiescing more territory out of possession. Um the irony for me is Vieira is a better profile for the things that Odegaard is kind of doing and it the way i see it Odegaard is doing these things sort of to keep up because he he he's such a he's a player with such a specific and particular skill set and i think he, yeah his capacity to change and evolve his game in those ways is what has kept him in this team and also sort of the best performer a lot of the time
0: i think so I definitely agree with you that Odegaard's great a lot of things that people don't appreciate. I think in the counter press, actually, obviously we didn't have a lot of those instances versus Everton, but I think he was fantastic. Again, he can always he has like a second sense for where play is gonna break out once the opposition regained possession or where he can quickly block off. Um and it's for a lot of these reasons why I don't think he's quite as like needing to keep up, needing to stay ahead as as Fabio, not as threatened his place, not as threatened by Fabio's. I think you maybe think it is i think he's still quite far and away especially given how important out of possession is but not only that in terms of what he does in possession it's true that there's a lot of angle biases and and issues with him in terms of when he can turn out of some angles he, he can turn out fantastically and those are often the ones that make the comps and why people think that he's like he is the sort of like can dribble out of any situation player but the reality is that there's a whole other 50% of the time where he gets really like cornered in by not a particularly hard press. But when he does access like the right angle, once we get him in the, in the final third, it's often where our best moments have come from. And my issue with this shooting, shooting and I get both of your guys' points on it, because he's obviously a, a big plus-plus in terms of being a range shooter. And I think, obviously, I never have an issue with him arriving on for those like first-time hits on the end of attacks but more so when he's receiving i think he's kind of where he used to kind of make things tick a lot quicker and at speed up attacks and be the brain of that attack right now i get the feeling that he's like clogging the attacks because he's looking for that that shot and i absolutely agree it's it's a uh, it's under instruction right i just don't think i agree with the res- instruction at this point and i wonder if it has to do with maybe something with habits like a lack of confidence in being able to access him in these moments but yeah, with Fabio in this game, I don't know. I, I, am not, I'm not crazy about it at this point, point. and I think in general, it's a reason why Odegaard play, player do think is quite creative. Um, definitely in terms of his like vision and timing of passing, more so than maybe his technical execution. I think it's, it's a reason why that has dropped off this season. And I, I, I'm not saying he should go back to not shooting, but I do think the balance is now too much to the one side. Where also people, I, I think teams know that he's going to shoot. I think Everton, every time he was on the ball in the central areas, know that the first, the first intention was to, for him was to look for an angle to shoot.
2: I think when he has the time and space, he does. Like, even for the goal, when we worked off the, the short corner mm-hmm. routine, it was his reverse pass to Saka soccer and Saka's to Trossard. Um, but yeah, no, I totally get your point.
0: All right. With that, I think we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about other things. And we're back. Um, where we ended off, I think in the last section, I can't remember which one of you spoke about, it was obviously Odegaard's involvement, um, in the goal that finally came, which came from a short corner ending with Saka cutting back for that immense Trishad finish. I actually want to look at what we've seen to, since the beginning of last season, score a lot of goals coming from short corners. Um, and it seems to be a very viable way in terms of which we're providing threat. What do you think of this, this theme and this pattern? Um, that we've gone with, Manas.
1: I think, as far as corners go, our overall tactical strategy here is to find marginal gains. So we're the top. We've scored fifteen goals since start of last season from corners. That is num top tied with Spurs, I think. And this this was a stat that came up on the screen during the game. Um, I feel like this is something that we consciously work on. Obviously, like you can tell. Um, and I think even uh, TIFO did a small thing on this uh, when we scored, when Rice scored against Man United, how we can find a spare man at the far post. So from our corners, we set up our pod beyond the far post, and we completely leave the near post uh, and the central area is completely empty. <clears throat> so this sort of forces teams into a zonal sort of defensive structure. Even if they're prepared for a man-to-man, and again, like we also tried a, a different sort of a short corner uh, against United, where Eddie just like came from the near post, received the pass, and he released Martin Eddie. We did it a couple of times to find a cutback into the center spot. So I think we we work these themes or uh, you know corner routines where teams can't really prepare for this, and it's sort of a way to. F- maybe find a goal like like cheat a goal out of a team and like we've we've been pretty good like we already scored uh our only goal from a corner versus everton it's completely forced the team like the, the the entire block is in the box and you can play around them Like you can force people out and you can play around them that's so that's what happened another thing i think short corners in particular what they do is you even if you can't work the ball around, at least the person who then crosses, crosses much closer to the box. So there's a chance of putting in a much accurate ball into a much better area. I think this is something that we've done very, very well.
2: Yeah, I I think, um, I mean, it's funny, with having more territory and having a higher field tilt, you'll naturally get more corners. So um, scope for exploiting marginal gains will... You know, be more valuable. Uh, I think the performance against Everton in terms of like uh, set piece routines was cool because obviously they have like a more physically imposing and taller um, cohort, defensive cohort than United did. And I think we did play a number of short corners against United, but they were mainly with the aim of sort of getting the ball back into the box. Um, because they're, I mean, I, I remember seeing a stat about just how small they were in comparison to us, like the the average height of the team. Um, whereas for Everton, I think we did whip a few in, but it was more, and the goal actually came from it, just working it around um, and then getting back into the box um, on the ground, with the ball on the ground. So, yeah, I, I think, I don't know, Nicholas Jove, or however you say his name, is definitely getting his money's worth at the minute, uh, or making his money's worth. Um, And yeah it looks like we do again understandably like this is a big team in england have tailored um ideas about what we're going to do depending on the opposition do you guys think it also comes a little
0: bit from i mean i wouldn't position myself with all as an authority on on set pieces my mind goes a little bit like blank when where we have a set piece just because i'm more drawn to the the in um the open play stuff but do you think part of why we go short is also because we don't have the best um I guess deliverers. Deliverers is the right word, but you know what I mean, in terms of Martinelli and Saka. I think they're both serviceable, but maybe not neither are like top top um corner takers. It's probably the word I was looking for.
1: Maybe. Maybe that could be a reason. But I think that when they do want to, they can put a good ball in. But I think it comes down to the last point that I made, like you wanna cross as close mm. to the box as possible. It's easier, it's like you can put on put in a better ball and uh, I think these routines, if, like, if you score 15 goals, so I think this season we've scored one, this was the only goal that we've scored at the corner. Um, well, I
0: kind of you know. indirectly. One. One, yeah. yeah,
1: so a couple of goals. So let's say we scored 13 goals, that's like what, like 10%, maybe 12% of goals scored in a season from corners, that's huge. That's, that's not even a marginal mm-hmm. gain anymore, It's it's a substantial tactic.
0: Absolutely. Do you guys think that going short, sorry to stick with that, but do you think it's part of like a new tactical mix? I think it makes sense in terms of holding possession and trying to work situations rather than, than crossing in. Because I also think, again, not not a pro on, on corners or set pieces in general, but it's also a lot more important in terms of how we defend. Um, someone brought up a good point that why part of probably why we got Havertz is his ability to defend from corners. He was the best non-defender in terms of um, cutting out the first four from corners. So it's obviously also a big aspect of, of defending corners. And I wonder how much now playing it short is like the next step, trying to get that next edge ahead. And it seems to be one that we are perhaps at the forefront of.
2: Yeah, I, I have no idea, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I just have no idea. I My memory of us playing short from corners as often as we did against Everton were Emery games. And I remember... Again, this is my younger self just watching it being like, just whip it in, please. Um, but <laughs> This is England. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, I, I, I like it when we do it now. And I think the stats show that short corners, statistically speaking, are more fruitful um, in terms of converting them into goals. Obviously that's like very, yeah. Um, before anyone comes to me, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I, yeah, I really don't know, don't know. Perfect. So I think, I think beyond Manus, we don't really know,
0: but I get the case. I get the case. Okay. Let's end off on the, on the game overall. I think one of the, I spoke about it earlier, but one of the lasting sort of impressions, that I think you have uh, those groups of people who think we're absolutely magnificent and, you know, we keep winning three points is three points, but I also think there are a lot of worries about whether we are Worse offensively and also just in general, I guess, more boring coming from lack of central incision and stuff like that. Is this something that you guys are worried about longer term, acknowledging that there are some issues right now? Uh, I think I'll go to you first, Logan.
2: Yeah, I think there's ultimately a ceiling um, on the current starters in the squad in, in terms of how much we can improve. Um, in terms of improve, yeah, so improving from an offensive standpoint, from an attacking standpoint. Um, and then the caveats I would say are, you know, Vieira started this game, that's significant, and him on the same side as Martinelli, in my opinion, you know, would have been much more fruitful than it ended up being Matrosaad. We weren't able to see that. And then also Jesus is due to come back, who I think is arguably the most important person in all of this in terms of facilitating rotations, um, opening up space so that the ball can arrive dynamically in those central areas, all of that fun stuff, even maybe un- hopefully um, unlocking Havertz, which I think maybe we'll begin to see now that Jesus is back to full fitness. Um, but yeah, it, it is something I'm kind of worried about because, because of that ceiling. Um, but I do think we we have the players to plug in and try different things. Manas,
1: yeah, I'm. I acknowledge the fact that like we are a little slow and creatively we're not there yet, and something that we predicted as well, we talked about as well. But I'm not worried long term. Like I think we'll find a solution and we'll find the next gear and find the fluidity in it right? once, like once everything starts to click. So I don't. I'm not worried long term. I'm not worried.
0: Yeah, I think I echo more Manus's, um sentiments here, but it depends, I guess, how long-term we're looking. I think in terms of whether there's going to be a lot of improvement coming over the course of this season, I think absolutely. I think it's something we've spoken about. At least this has been my sort of stance from before the season began, is that it will start a bit slower and things will take time to, to piece together. And I think, Loken, for example, with your caveats, I think those are big reasons why I'm more... Confident about things coming together And looking a bit better offensively I do acknowledge that, that there are Obviously it's, it's great That we're in a position I think where we're even looking To to being like Complete dominance as, as the aim Rather than just being a side That could win the title which I think You know obviously That's within our ceiling of the current team I think um, The city obviously makes the ceiling quite high But I think it's still within within reach Right Yeah uh, yeah, I think longer-term total domination stuff that we've spoken about today, I think Rice will come good. I'm, I, Yeah, like just the rate of improvement that he's given has allayed a lot of skepticism that I had about him before we signed him, after we signed him, before the season began. Um, in terms of how we use the eights, I think that's still going to be interesting and that's something that we will need to see. But over the course of the season, I think, yeah, guys like Gabriel, you know, ESU's coming back. Hopefully Havertz, you know, I think there are lots of positives with him, even though there are some negatives so far. Maybe for me, more skepticism than than not. But yeah, I think things will take time to gel. I, I'm I'm not too worried yet. I, I don't see signs to be worried. I, I see things not coming off, but not because that there's a limitation so much as that there hasn't been that connection made yet.
2: It's also fun that we can talk about rotating players in and how we've already seen that come to fruition five games in whereas like one of the um our main sort of gripes with Athletic last season was maybe not doing that so that's that's cool
0: absolutely I think I think we'll use that as a jumping point into Wednesday which is our first Champions League game in what six years I think're on about that long
2: is it is it seven was it uh, might was be
0: <laughs> I don't even want to look back how far it is I think it actually might be seven. Um, so the question there is, how much do we rotate versus PSV? I think I'll come to you first, Manas. How much rotation do you want to see?
1: I feel uh, three players. I think we rotated rotated three players this game. So I think that should be probably our ceiling without breaking down, you know, uh, enough familiarity in the central areas or in build-up. I think that some that's something that we can pull off. And as far as being back in the Champions League goes, like, it hasn't hit me so far. Uh, I think I'm waiting for the music to start and the lights <laughs> to flash. And, and, you know, the, the flag, the Champions League ball flag, um, I don't even remember the last time. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, so, little bit rotation, but not a lot.
0: I'm just resisting being a snob because I really did want to play like a pro- like playing PSV does feel like a Europa League game. Um, apologies to to Petter Bush and the boys, but but I think that's maybe why it hasn't hit me yet. Um, although I have to say I'm very excited for our youth league. Like weirdly, that is what I'm most excited about, and that is hitting me for sure. Um, who do you think we should be rotating then, though? So who are the the definite ones? And I guess one point is: Do you think we're going to see Ramsdale back for this
1: one? Mm. Maybe not. So if you're gonna if you're gonna give if you're gonna give a keeper a chance to start, might as well you know let him at least start a couple of games. But he didn't make any mistakes. So maybe you keep Raya in. Maybe Jesus gets his first start, and uh, I think Havertz might play. Maybe, but I don't know.
0: I th- I think Ramsell's is gonna gonna play and be our Champions League keeper. At least for the foreseeable um i agree on habits though i think we'll see jesus yeah, in i'm hoping we see someone like nelson or, or smith Rowe get a more likely nelson to be fair get a get a shot and maybe keep because i want to keep zinchenko wrapped up in cotton um and i i think that's worth maybe a little bit more rotation than normal just safeguarding him because if he gets injured then we're a bit fucked. but yeah local who do you think we should be rotating
2: I don't know. It, it's difficult because obviously they has got the Spurs game on the weekend um, so it's not obviously in a vacuum. I, I suppose, I think Ramsdale will probably come in. I imagine Havertz will come back in as well. Um, he has a good history at Champions League night so hopefully that bodes well for him and us. Um, and then also Jesus. But it, like I, I would expect Jesus, I really do expect Jesus to start on the weekend against Spurs. So whatever that means for the midweek game, would I dunno if does he play 180 minutes? Maybe he I think he gets, starts, 60. But gets sixty. Right. So yeah, maybe we still see Eddie. I'd love to see Reese Nelson. Yeah. Um for a game like this, but I just don't know if we will.
0: Unfortunately, I don't think we will. I think it's gonna be Trossard out, out wide, probably. I think it will be Gabby J and I think it will be Saka. It's it's really hard to also Drop guys like Saka and Odigo and silly both been waiting for their this Champions League nights, even though they are most important. I think we might very well see an unchanged backline, though I really do think we should we should drop um, Zinchenko for this one.
2: Um, yeah, I don't know, like Zinchenko three games in a week is kind of a lot for someone who's kind of injury prone. It's a lot. So, so your point about Kivio is not a bad one actually. I, I I quite like that.
0: Yeah. Ultimately, I also like to see maybe guys like Declan Rice and stuff subbed off early. Hope we make sh- use of our five. But but yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to the actually the big game coming up before our next pod, and that is the North London Derby. Um, how are you guys feeling about that?
1: I feel in a long time. I think this is going to be a really good game. I think Spurs have been really good. I've just watched. I I haven't watched every game, but I watched the United game and I watched um, which one was it? Per Madison, I think scored a couple of goals. I think they've been very good. Like they're playing classic football, but like it's really good stuff. So I think it'll be an open game.
0: Logan, how are you feeling?
2: Yeah, good. Um, I, I, it it looks. Yeah, it's going to be. I think it's the point where both teams have been the highest, at least from a morale standpoint, a morale point of view, um, in a very long time. Probably even more so than the the game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium a couple of years ago, when the holding incident and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I, I I watched highlights of the game against um, whoever they just played, Sheffield, and the atmosphere is very, I mean, not to liken them to us, but it's very reminiscent of sort of the Arteta stuff and the feel-good factor of a young manager um, or relatively new manager. So yeah, I, I think we, are, we obviously have a really good history playing against them in this fixture and I am confident. I think they're still, from what I've seen, they're still quite susceptible to being hit on the break, um, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, pl- I definitely plan to watch one, if not two, as much as before the weekend
0: that that point you made about being hit on the break is a big one for me because i think martinelli being out it is the maybe the worst player we could have had out for this game i mean maybe it depends on like guys like rice and sleeve are obviously very important as well and soccer but i think I, I think if i had to have anyone it would be martinelli um i have to say yeah uh, and i'm already a huge fan of up begrudgingly but i am but I think, yeah, with that high line, I do think that they can be... And I think it's always been something over his career um, from from what I've I'm not really followed it, but from what I've read that he can be a bit too gung-ho in the big games. And that's where he kind of... He's been undone in the past. And I think Martinelli is the type of player who can undo <laughs> that gung-ho-ness. Um, so, yeah, how, how big a problem do you think that is? And what would you guys do... To, to navigate this Martinelli being out, with us not really having anyone who's quite like that as a transition threat.
1: I'm not sure if I'm expecting a huge transitional game anyway. Um, I'm just happy that they might press us, like we might get to see how this team has progressed versus a team who might actually be proficient in a press. Uh, but as far as like we can access the wide areas, I don't think that missing Martinelli in that game should be a huge issue, unless like he like Ange does something different, like maybe he sits in a block and he doesn't miss us.
2: Yeah, I think what I do is, which I thought would be kind of an unorthodox shout, but you already mentioned it, Alex, is put Jesus on the left, and I play Havertz down the middle. Um, so front three of Saka Havertz and Jesus with Odegaard, Rice, and Vieira behind. And then obviously plays Chenko and Cambria and stuff. So that's what I do. I don't think we will do it. We never see Jesus sort of play out of position as much as I think the whole fan base, at least online, seems to want and for good reason in my opinion. But yeah, that's what I do. I am I'm curious to see what Arteta does because I think what are we expecting to be like, Trossard?
0: I hope not. I really don't... <sighs> I mean yeah i wouldn't want Trossard for this game um out-, out wide that is i think Trossard could be great centrally for this game but if i had to have someone i don't know it's a hard one it's it's a i it would just be gabby gabby J for me i, I think even reese i wouldn't feel great about starting mainly because we haven't seen enough of him particularly from the start um not that I at all expect Reese to start that. We're not even gonna get into Smith rowe He won't start. I am just hoping he gets off the bench versus versus PSV. But yeah, then then let, let's go through that. Lorcan, I think you've not done one in a while. So can you do our like predicted slash eleven that you hope for?
2: <laughs> I think the one I so the one I hope for, I've I've hopefully already detailed is Saka, Havertz, Jesus front three, and then midfield three is Odegaard Rice Vieira. And then back five is Ramsdale, White, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko.
0: Ramsdale instead of Raya.
2: Yeah. Again, like one of those kind of just evidence shouts where I've seen Raya start once for Arsenal, so I don't Fair. think it will. Um, and also, I guess it's one of those passionate games where the fans are riled up and stuff like that, so maybe it suits Ramsdale. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, for the one I expect, I expect to see in that same back five. Um, I, we've talked about this already on the podcast, but for any of those FPL people worried about if Gabriel's playing or not, it's literally just when Zinchenko plays, he will play. Um, in terms of yeah, I don't know. Maybe we see. I, so I, I I guess if I had to put my money on it, I'd say we see Rice, Odegaard and Havertz midfield three with a front, with a front three of Saka, Jesus and trossard on the left
0: i think i agree with that although i do think there's a very good chance raya starts the next league game and i think ramsdale will start midweek all right with that i think that's everything so thanks so much for listening um yeah obviously join us next week where we'll be reviewing the spurs game and maybe a little bit of the psv1 2 as well as discussing anything else that comes up that's topical I think the lineup next week will be myself and Lorcan returning. Manus is going to the bench, but Tiles and Seba coming in. So unfortunately, Manus is missing the, the North London Derby pod. Um, but yeah, until that pod, please do like and subscribe and leave nice comments and all of that. It really does help, and we really do appreciate all the support for the pod at the moment. And thanks as always to James Blake for his music, which you can find um, you can find him over at J W Blake over on Spotify. Um, but before the two of you go I do have one last pot shot question Manas what do we think of Tottenham? Shit (laughs) and Lorcan, what do we think of shit? Tottenham thank you
2: (laughs) that's right